1: and onto the page get it out of your head and onto the page get it out of your head and onto
2: the page welcome to on the page this is the podcast that answers all of your questions about the craft and business of screenwriting My name is Pilar Alessandra, and I am the script consultant (laughs) and screenwriting teacher here at On The Page. I have my morning voice on because I didn't know it was daylight savings time. I'm a grown-up, right? I'm a grown-up, and Mm -hmm. I had that, like,
1: oh, my God, I'm late
2: for school kind of thing. (laughs) And I raced over here. I'm still on my first cup of coffee. It isn't pretty. And, and Ryan, Ryan Buds knows because he's here with me in person. How you doing, Ryan L. L. Buds is our producer today. Hello, Ryan.
1: I'm doing good. I also did not realize I put a giant note on my mirror that said podcast this morning so that when I went to use the bathroom in the morning, I would know exactly what I needed to do.
2: <laughs> do you ever like, are you going to have to do that for everything like
1: work? Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> shoes. I write down shoes, uh, pants. <laughs> it's a hard life. <laughs>
2: Um, Ryan, real quick, yes. you, you just got a job. I did. I got
1: a new job. I'm uh, an associate producer. Doesn't that sound fancy? What associate producer on MTV's Ridiculousness? I didn't
2: know you're in... wow. Yeah. That's really neat.
1: Yeah, it sounds really fancy. It is uh, fancy, and uh, it's very very fun job. It's uh, ten to seven, which oh. I love, and it's For a mile now. a mile from my house. So oh my I, can, God. I walk to work on Monday. It took you ten minutes?
2: You that is amazing. It's really
1: cool, and it's a really fun job, and it's a great environment and uh, all the people are really fun and uh, i'm super excited about and, it
2: and when is the show on or when is it going to be on
1: it is uh i'll be working on season five mm-hmm. season four is airing right now season five will air like uh, end of summer early fall
2: great yeah well and
1: it's uh it's great it's just a really it's that highest rated show on mtv right now wow and uh, it's got a lot of longevity so um Super excited
2: We we, uh, we had a, a podcast with you For your first six months I believe of being here Yeah And now we were talking about Maybe having a podcast About like maybe your first year Yeah that'd be, be cool Because so much else Happened in six months and Yeah And you are one of those people That just goes out And does everything So we're gonna So, so to be continued For Ryan Buds We will hear more about The adventures of Buds yeah. As he got his
1: first job A little teaser about that it was, I got that job On my 500th day in LA Which was kind of neat Like I just did some Quick calendar checking and I'm like, wait, this is strange. Like I got my first real job uh, where I wasn't a PA. That uh, took 500 days. Congratulations. So I think that's cool. Do you and, have the days
2: uh, checked off on your mirror too?
1: I do. <laughs> We're on the mirror, it's a, it's a very large mirror. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot to see. That's right.
2: Um, so we also have a fabulous guest this morning. We have John Rhodes. Hello, John.
0: Hey, how are you? Good. Good.
2: good. Thanks for coming out for, for what is actually sort of bright and early. Even though in in real life it's supposed to be 11 o'clock. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm still still sleeping. But I'm going to wake up in a second.
1: John, what do you have written on your mirror at home right
2: now? I'm not a mirror
1: writer. Oh, no? I I should try it. You're a normal human being? Yeah. I got it. Good.
2: Yeah, it's kind of creepy to write on your mirror. Yeah. You know, red rum? Oh, I do, the, I do going, it. I rum? use
1: lipstick. Is that, not, is that <laughs> that's, that's weird?
2: I will kill you. <laughs> this is like, like all, of, all of the revenge ladies.
0: <laughs> I think I would just be confused. By the time I'm actually looking in the mirror, I'm like just waking up, and I, would just, I don't think I would process it. Like, what, yeah. what is this? Right.
2: I can barely look at myself in the morning. Yeah. I really can't. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, no, that needs improvement, and I'm not going to look at that for like an hour.
1: There's a lot of math. It's like Good will Hunting. It's really like that chalkboard. just a <laughs> lot of <laughs> false math.
2: Math. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Oh, John Rhodes. Hi, John. Hello. Okay, John Rhodes is an independent <clears throat> film producer, consultant, and founder of Screencraft, which is a media company and consultancy in Los Angeles. And we're going to talk about that. He's worked for domestic film distribu- distributor, dist- <laughs> distributor, distributor, distributor. Open Road Films acquisition team On such films as The Grey Starring Liam Neeson And End of Watch Starring Jake Gyllenhaal John worked as creative exec At Media Talent Group For A-list clients Including Nicole Kidman And Angelina Jolie and other really pretty ladies. As a development <laughs> assistant and story editor at Odd Lot Entertainment, John helped to develop such films as uh, the Academy Award nominee Rabbit Hole, which I, I haven't seen yet.
1: So I'm intense. kind of scared
2: to see it mm-hmm. because I'm afraid it will make me like, kind of mean and introspective mm. and mm. hating children and stuff. No, it's beautiful. It is. <laughs> is it yeah, nice? It's okay. redemptive. Okay. Um, and also the Khan Award-winning Drive and the sci-fi epic Enders game. And uh, and so you've been you have a lot of experience in Hollywood, um, but one thing that I was uh, I was interested in right away was um, your acquisition work and, mm-hmm. and it 's because we 've never had anybody on who 's talked about acquisitions, mm, yeah. and I, I was wondering if first you could actually define what acquisitions mm. means uh, within the context of uh, script writing
0: yeah well it 's really like it 's the end game you know it 's what happens at the end of it all, um, and so screenwriters really need to think about it i mean they 're really embedded in the in the creative process of creating a world and a story and characters, but um, the acquisitions process is it ultimately is you know the where the rubber meets the road. It's where butts get in seats and tickets are sold um, and people you know movies are marketed and people um, learn about you know the movie and go see it. So acquisitions is the process of evaluating um, a movie whether it's in the can or whether it's in development um, and evaluating its market potential and figuring out what a good price is for it, negotiating all those different factors. Um, and, and then acquiring it, acquiring the rights to distribute and sell it for a given period of time and a given media. Um, so acquisitions, theatrical acquisitions is the you know, process of acquiring a movie and um, putting it out into theaters and marketing it and selling tickets. So marketing so-
2: and saleability does um, – while you don't want it to interfere with the creative process mm-hmm. for writers, mm-hmm. um, it's interesting to hear
1: mm-hmm.
2: what evaluation goes into marketability, sellability – um, so that they can they can think about that. Uh, if if let's say they're writing a big genre movie, is there were there certain things you looked for in projects um, at that point that would make it more acquisitions friendly? And I realize, of course, we're talking about there's casting and all these things that are out of a writer's control. Mm-hmm. Um, but anything in terms of content or tone?
0: Well, it's similar. I mean, a producer has to think. You know, if they're a good producer, they also have to think about in terms of being. Um, A distributor because Mm -hmm. that's where you know the movie meets the audience so um thinking like a producer and an acquisitions executive is very similar i mean you're trying to figure out like at what budget does this movie make sense and the budget is dictated by the audience the scope of the audience you know how many tickets could realistically be sold for this movie um and what are the different distribution channels you know there's all these interesting ones now some really interesting distributors experimenting with online and you know vod svod um Distribution models. So, so, t-
2: tell us a little bit about that. Okay, so so so, it, an acquisitions person yeah. then sends it out to distributors. Is mm. that so? So you're saying, well, <clears> and there are all <throat> these different roads that they could go. So so they they have yeah, different. Those are
0: distribution platforms. A distributor is actually the the company that you know. Owns um, the the rights to distribute the movie, so they're the ones kind of collecting the money. Um, but they might use multiple platforms. So, for instance, you know, if a movie gets released in theaters. That's its first window. It's usually a loss leading window. Movies don't usually recoup, you know, much of their initial budget in theaters. Um, and then it goes on to the other windows. You know, you've got DVD sales, and then you have um, TV, and you have you know premium TV and free TV, and then Um, And then, you know, even the DVDs get broken down. There's the initial, you know, release, and then there's the bargain bin DVDs. Um,
1: What about when it goes on cable? Does that still... That's that's another window. That's another way down the line
0: kind of window? Yeah, so each, you know, movie has different windows where these different platforms get exclusive rights to you know, distribute it for. So you, a you'll
1: kind of, of stay with a movie
0: for years and years. Oh yeah. Years. I mean, movies are, you know, earning money. Like mm-hmm. my, my friend, Sean produced a movie called Napoleon dynamite, you know, way yeah. back in the day. And it's still, you know, earning money, even yeah. though the movie is, you know, come and gone and it's become kind of a cult classic now mm-hmm. at this point, but you it's could still, it's get still key, earning money. Keychain at hot topic with, with Absolutely. The... <laughs> there's merchandise. Lama. There's, yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> well, I guess that still makes it relevant, right? Yeah, that's right. At least if you're 13. So, <laughs> yeah.
0: and then these new platforms like Netflix or, you know, Amazon. And they 'll oh, yeah. buy rights to also distribute, and even if you 're not you know paying per view you 're still paying to subscribe to a library of content so it was a world i mean I, I started at Oddlot Entertainment as an intern and then got hired as a you know development assistant and uh, that was um, very much the creative development side of it um, and so moving into the acquisitions and distribution world was really eye opening just in terms of understanding the business, the final piece of that puzzle.
2: So so I'm just staying on acquisitions for just a second. Mm-hmm. So um, in a way, having all these different platforms is probably a really good news for a writer because it makes the acquisitions people not have to be so limited in what is marketable because you could be marketable for this platform, even Mm -hmm. though it's not marketable for that platform. That's the,
0: yeah, absolutely. There's an audience for everything. That's the one thing I've come to learn. And even if that audience is like you and your dog, like (laughs) there's an audience for everything. It's just understanding when people trying to, you know, a lot of screenwriters don't take much time to think about budget constraints and they really shouldn't, you know, like they're, they're creating a world, um, well, I mean, maybe they should though. I mean, there there is a role. I mean, it's important to understand the final like where your screenplay is going to end up and how it's going to be how it's going to meet the world and how you know audiences will eventually see it. What kind so, of
2: audiences? You know, we we talk broadly about audiences mm-hmm. a lot. Were there certain categories of audiences when mm-hmm. you were in? No, absolutely. Yeah, tell me about those.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, the old traditional, like, you know, kind of overly simplified way of breaking down, you know, the market is the four quadrants. You know, you've got young and old, male and female. Um, and that's a very simplistic way to look at it, but it's still very a popular way of looking at um, marketing and the appeal of a movie. You know, does this appeal to... You know, boys? Does it appeal to men? Does it appeal to women? Does it appeal to girls? Um, And then you can drill down into different market segments. It's a whole, I mean, it's essentially marketing, you know, it's, it's the science of marketing, understanding your market and how to reach them.
2: And when, um, when you were working for this particular company, were they looking for, did they, did they have sort of a different place to put Hmm. scripts in um, projects in different markets or were Mm -hmm. they like sort of concentrated on one particular market?
0: That's a good question. I think most distributors do try to create something of a mandate and a brand, the type of content that they bring to market and kind of specialize in that. There's inevitably a lot of overlap because at the end of the day, a good movie is a good movie. Um, and it. And I think the best movies are pretty universally accessible by audiences. So um, everyone's always looking for that like genre film that can cross over because – specific genres have kind of proven markets and marketability. There's a lot of precedent, you know, in comparable films that you can use for your marketing campaign and kind of feeling safe about what you're doing with the content. Um, but there's also... But, but when it can tr- cross over, you know, into general audience and sell a lot more tickets, that's when you have, you know, a hit. Um, so, yeah, the, the distributor that I worked for, Open Road, they... Um, Tom, the CEO, who kind of started that company. It's a co-venture of AMC and Regal, you know, the two largest theater chains in the country, um, which is interesting in and of itself. It's kind of the first time that's been done. Um, he had really... I mean, he built Lionsgate largely on the success of genre content and really understood um, how to sell very effectively an action movie a horror film... Um, and so Open Road definitely started out with that um, kind of undervalued action movies that, you know, other distributors hadn't gotten. They, they released those very well and very successfully. Um, an example of what I consider kind of a crossover film is The Grey. You know, it was marketed as Liam Neeson punching wolves, but you see it and, and, <laughs> and awesome, you know, but that's marketed toward a very specific audience. Right. Yeah. You know, that's like teenage boys, um, men predominantly. Um, it's a gritty survivalist um, film, but then you see it, and it's kind of an art film. It's this like, mm-hmm. you know, meditative um, story about a you know a guy grappling with you know these really big existential questions. It's kind of a slow movie, actually, um, but you can easily I kind of consider it mismarketing it, but you can easily market it as a straight you know just very kind of.
1: Taken with Wolves. Yeah, yeah, Taken with Wolves. <laughs> yeah,
0: kind of. Um, so like, anyway, yeah, it, it's, um, most distributors do try to kind of find a niche, um, but inevitably you want that film that crosses over and has you know, broad appeal. And um, that's where we get
2: that four-quadrant thing. Yeah,
0: exactly.
1: What, what is the biggest film you've worked on that you think is mm-hmm. the, the best example of that kind of crossover?
0: Um, the gray i mean i see because that was you know made at a very you know relatively low budget i mean that was just a smart film all around it Mm -hmm. was like it was an elevated action movie um which is great because the elevated aspect of it kind of opens it up to a little bit you know of a wider audience but it could be sold as a very kind of Straight down the middle action movie Ah, we have
2: somebody who's using the term Elevated action movie okay Uh (laughs) So in uh how do you define Uh elevated action movie Because this has come up from time to time And when it first sort of came into Into play you know Like for a while When contained Contained horror movie or contained thriller Mm, came around People were like okay what does that mean And now it's like elevated So what what does that Mm. mean to you
0: Um I haven't defined elevate. I, I would say that it has uh like it, it it touches on universal themes. It probably just has a little bit more layers of meaning going on um than, than you know, a more like B movie, action movie. You God
2: know, it is, has, so it's really just like more of a thinking person's uh, Yeah, uh, it, it
1: maybe has a little bit more intellectual heft to it. How about it. how about die hard versus expendables? Is that a good example? Would that be sure. it? So Die Hard's got yeah. some more yeah. gusto to it, and Expendables is just a, maybe a bunch of celebrities shooting. But out. you know,
2: when it when it first came out, it wouldn't have been seen that way. No, you took, know, now we years. have yeah. you know we 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 worship Die Hard so much right. that we see that it has all these universal themes. But yeah. at the time, I think it was meant to be you know good old popcorn mm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I
0: mean. But there's a lot of good old popcorn movies like Die Hard that I would still consider elevated. Yeah, um,
2: yeah. I mean, but I think it, sometimes it takes time. Yeah. You know? I mean, mm-hmm. and that's,
0: that's the mark of a good screenwriter. A screenwriter mm-hmm. who can um, hit kind of highbrow and lowbrow at the same time. Because mm-hmm. um, that really opens it, opens the audience up and makes it feasible to do a bigger budget and a bigger marketing campaign and then because it has a bigger audience
2: i think you've just hit on something really important that highbrow lowbrow kind of thing Mm -hmm. you know that you can't be so highbrow that you alienate your
0: your audience right absolutely not i mean shakespeare has tons of really lowbrow humor and situations um to open up his audience and that's kind of the genius of someone you know like shakespeare who can can speak to a really wide audience on different levels
2: cool Cool. I think you're, you're absolutely right. And the other part of that, too, is you can't be so lowbrow that you just turn people off and, mm-hmm. you know, assume people are stupid, mm-hmm. you know? um, Now, two things. If you don't kiss that mic, John, you're in trouble, okay? What's going on? You are afraid of the mic. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that, Can you not hear me? No, 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 I hear you you loud and clear. Ready? Here, here. The (laughs) the listener's going to hear. So you keep doing this thing where you're just like, yeah, so anyway, like, you got to go toward the mic, (laughs) man. These chairs are too comfortable. The mic is your friend. All right,
0: here we are. Oh, see, that's
2: that's some good stuff. All right, so this is information we can't miss. (laughs) Okay, so um, when you were... Over at um, Odd Lot, which is... Coincidentally, you and I shared an intern, and we just found out. That's right, Ben
0: right? Meckler. Ben Meckler. <laughs> yeah. He was
2: interning for me for my classes, really good guy, just just awesome. moved here, and then he got uh, an internship with you, and he was actually on the po- podcast talking about interning with you, which oh, no was way. really fun, and he loved working for you. That's
0: great. What Do you remember what podcast episode that was?
2: I don't. I, I don't remember I'll what is. I'll dig it up, because I want to hear it. <laughs> I don't know what time it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, but yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll look yeah. somewhere Awesome. Um, but uh, um, so when you were there, I mean, I'm looking at the stuff that Oddlot does, mm-hmm. and it, you know, talk about intense. I mean, Rabbit Hole and Drive, mm-hmm. and both of those are, you know, they're they're you know they're small, they're character driven, they're mm-hmm. incredibly intense. I mean, Ender's Game is a great mm-hmm. big mm-hmm. Uh, genre movie, but again, has its dark elements mm-hmm. to it. Was there something about Oddlot's um, vision that mm-hmm. that skewed dark?
0: Um, I don't necessarily think so. Um, yeah, what's, what's interesting about, um, production companies and their mandates is yes, it's very dictated by the taste of the financier who's behind the company or the development executive who's in charge of filtering screenplays and identifying projects that are worth, you know, optioning and producing, um, so I would say the taste, but, but development executives' taste is also dictated by their understanding of the marketplace and what can work because, look, no one wants a rotten egg. You know, Everyone's looking for a winner, and um, that was the one big lesson I learned as a development assistant is, like, your personal taste is great, and it's good to own your personal taste, but it's also important to understand um, what the market, too um, – I think it's more important to have a real strong sense of your personal taste, but it's also very important to understand the market. Um, so, yeah, they they went through a little bit of a, a, a change. They had a real bomb stinker of a movie called The Spirit. It just didn't perform very well. I mean, it, it, it's a movie that has some good elements, but it's also a bizarre movie. <laughs> Was it
1: the Frank Miller? Frank Miller, yeah. Mm. yeah. yeah of, I mean, a, a lot of stars cast, in it. Yeah. Macht and I never saw that. Samuel Jackson. That? It, Scarlett huh? Johansson is in it. Yeah.
0: It's, um, it's kind of it was right after sin City it was frank miller 's kind of directorial debut um, so but they, they lost a lot of money on that and they wanted to you know kind of change course and so they were picking more smaller kind of elevated type movies like you know nicole kidman 's rabbit hole um, and they came on with finishing funds that make that happen. Um, so yeah, it was it was great to see from the perspective of financier, you know, what what projects they're looking in, and also what stage they come on board, what what piece of that financing puzzle they provide. Um, For
1: Spirit, were they on the whole way, or did they? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Whole so way. that's why it that was such a hit.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly, because they had equity in it. You know, yeah. they they were they were in the riskiest part, which is the development period. When you gotcha. invest in a screenplay early on, before it has cast and directors and stuff attached, it's it's the riskiest part.
2: So they would take that on And then mm-hmm. uh, You as being being One of the development people mm-hmm. um, Tell me a little bit About the process Of Let's say Drive The, mm-hmm. the development of Drive I mean, It was such an interesting movie yeah. And a lot of people Really responded to it mm-hmm. And yet again It could be seen as an indie mm-hmm. But it It mm-hmm. It well, it definitely it was, a was an crossover. indie.
0: I mean, yeah, it was a crossover. I mean, the word indie is so slippery these days. Mm-hmm. Like, so many screenplays are indie. I mean...
2: Well, it had an indie sensibility, is what I should say. I yeah. mean, clearly it was independent, um, yeah. independently made and independent-minded. But, yeah. but sometimes... It, but, but this had, like, that feel of an indie, and yeah. yet it also had the feel of, like, yeah. you know, a big... A, yeah. I don't know a big Steve, like a, like a, an old fashioned Steve McQueen movie, yeah. which I think people I like. heard
0: um, an interesting term last year from one of my friends. Who's an agent at CAA who, um, who was describing the, a kind of trend in movies that we're seeing now, like drive, he calls it art exploitation. It's this <laughs> genre of like kind of art movie, but it also has these like exploitation movie. Um, someone's getting a skull kicked in tropes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah like you have <laughs> these kind of, you know, meditative art film, to it, mm-hmm. but you know, punctuated with exploitive violence and um just really kind of visceral graphic um scenes. Um and that's an interesting kind of I don't know, hybrid genre I guess now. <laughs> art exploitation. Arguably Quentin Tarantino is kind of an art exploitation
1: sure. filmmaker. A um, um, uh, quick story about Drive. I saw it in theaters with my wife, mm-hmm. and nothing happens for a long time. Mm-hmm. And Very long time. <laughs> I never get up to go to the bathroom ever. I never leave it to get soda, anything, but I really had to go. Mm-hmm. And I got up. And I walked back in, and it was the first gunshot of the movie, like in the hotel room, I think. <laughs> and I walked in, and my wife just shaking her head, and she's like, "Everything just went down, you know, like you just you missed, missed it every, missed <laughs> like this, like a shotgun to the head kind of hit. What? And there's blood all over the room, and yeah. then like then it picks up, you know. Yeah, yeah. But I still to this day have not seen it. Uh,
2: Yes. And something happens.
1: Yes. <laughs> well, what what I learned on Drive was
0: how much a director brings to a screenplay and how what a collaborative medium movie making is. Um, it you know screenwriting is it's that seminal stage of kind of creating the world and the characters, but the person who creates the movie is the director. And I really I saw after having my head you know buried in screenplay after screenplay, good and bad, um, for over a year, I finally saw one of the movies that i read as an intern you know like they we, we got a bunch of screenplays submitted through agencies and production companies um looking for financing at odd lot and I, I read as an intern i was like guys this is you know this is great and um the rest of the team read it and really liked it
2: you discovered um, it is this what we're hearing
0: no i'm I mean, not at all it was no, it was I, really that's what we're saying yeah okay that's that's, that's well, the I new mean, i'll, we're I'll take credit that. for it yeah, yeah let's go for it um but yeah, but to see... I mean, the, it's a great screenplay. Fanta I recommend anyone to read it because it's um, a great example of how to hook a reader and an audience within the first, you know, 10 pages. What does
2: it do to, to hook well, it?
0: Well, so if you've seen the film, um, spoiler alert, there's this uh, great scene where Driver, he doesn't have a name, his name is Driver, and that immediately kind of sets it off as, wow, it's a very archetypal, you know, world. Like, we've got this nameless protagonist. Um, but... um he does a very just kind of grounded and specific thing. He's, uh, trying to, he, he's, you know, clearly he picks up, um, these gunmen and he drives them and you hear his voiceover saying, I just drive people, you know, that's what I do. But to avoid the police, he's, um, listening to the sports game. I think he's listening to a Clippers game on the radio and he's driving downtown and avoiding the cops and, you know, pulling under bridges to avoid helicopters. And, um, and you're just thrown into this world. You're like, Whoa, this guy's, you know, he's a getaway driver. um, But then to avoid the police, as soon as the game... He's listening to the radio to hear as soon as when the game ends. And the crowds start pouring out of the stadium and getting their cars and traffic backs up. And as soon as the game's ending, he hears that, you know, buzzer-beating shot. Um, He drives directly to the Staples Center, into the garage, and, um, you know, changes clothes and then walks out with the whole crowd of people. And there's no way the police can, you know, fight through throngs and throngs of people coming out of a stadium. So it's just that little kind of, like... it says so much about the character early on you're thrown into action but it's not kind of meaningless action um
2: and there's and, sort of this window into into who he is.
0: Yeah, and who he is. I mean, it, there's a lot of voiceover at the beginning too. You know, some screenwriting consultants say that's a no-no. It clearly works in that film. Um, I think it
2: works when it works. Exactly. And I think also, you know, this this idea of like no VO, and then you see every single Academy Award-nominated screenplay has <laughs> VO. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. You know, it can be a really poetic way to begin. I think yeah. what script, what what teachers, script consultants, people like me mm. have fought against is the idea of leaning on it where mm-hmm. you're like it was a dark and stormy night and then you see <laughs> it's a dark and stormy night like yeah. all right mm-hmm. don't don't state the obvious yeah. give us give us what can't be said and driver mm-hmm. is a really in his head kind of character mm-hmm. so you know potentially in the script you that helped bring out his emotion. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the VO from the, from the movie though. Was that still there?
0: <coughs> yeah. 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 It's there. Um, it's fair amount. It's just in the beginning. Okay. And then there's a lot of not talking. There's a lot of really long lingering looks in that movie too, which is kind of the director's style, but yeah. So what, what a director brings, cause the screenplay, I mean, it, it arguably changed a bit, you know, in the final movie, um, he brought some of the most iconic moments, you know, his head getting stomped in, in the elevator and, you know, that mm-hmm. crazy shot in the hotel room. Um, those weren't specifically in the script like that. Um, that was the director's vision.
2: That's so, so were you on set for that? Did you get to see all that stuff? Um,
0: I was on set a little bit. Did Um, you get put that that mask on? Not a lot though. That creepy ass mask? Um, yeah, I saw the mask. (laughs) I I didn't put it on, but yeah, we had it in the office. Oh oh my God. um, now yeah. was
2: anything changed for audience yeah. or budget or anything like that in the development process since you for were sure. also working with the money people?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and an and independent film, I mean that was financed a lot through foreign sales. So they went and pre-sold the r- distribution rights to Germany, brought in quite a bit of money and you know UK and France and so they when you have, you know, a big piece of the financing being held by foreign distributors, they really want to get involved and, you know, give their two cents worth, especially when the script, you know, is still in development and hasn't been shot yet. Mm -hmm. So it was interesting to see that process of different, um, cooks in the kitchen. And I'm sure this is typical of, you know, a lot of films, you know, you get a lot of people with their own agenda and their own desire for what they want in the script, um, and what they want out. So yeah, some things changed for sure for budgetary reasons. I mean, the, 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 budget was pretty contained. Um, and so they had to, the screenplay, I think had some slightly bigger action set pieces in terms of Car stunts and they had to scale those back a little bit, um, but they were able to testament to you know Nick Reffin the director he was able to get a lot out of a you know relatively small budget.
2: I think it's, it's so hard, you know, it, development executives get knocked around and now oh, yeah you know they're crazy what do they want? But when you think about all the things, all the mandates of a a company, right? And then to keep the integrity of the script, you could look at a development executive as sort of the champion of the script, too. If that person understands the original material Mm -hmm. and needs to keep the integrity, Mm -hmm. I mean, you need somebody going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but the story. We need need this particular bit for the story. And we can't lose this because of the character. I mean, so there's there's a certain amount of managing Mm -hmm. at that at that level that i would imagine you're doing as well
0: absolutely i think producers this is one thing i've learned in my you know few years in this industry is producers don't really get enough credit they are really the kind of silent shepherds of the whole project they are the ones who guide the screenplay oftentimes in multiple rewrites um and you know it can be very contentious sometimes screenwriters are famous for not getting along with producers um but then they, you know, oftentimes it's the producers who choose the director and um, choose the, you know, hiring a lot of the below and above the line people. Um, and they, they're really the ones who kind of just maneuver all these different, you know, voices and collaborative um, elements to the movie and kind of negotiate all of it and make it happen. So they really are... Well, they're not necessarily the creative visionaries. They're the ones who are putting together those creative visionaries and creating the right chemistry for a project to happen. And it's really cool to see it from that kind of global perspective.
2: Let me tell you something. Um, people have been asking me lately, and I'm gonna I'm gonna segue for just a second because people have been asking. So. Um, episode 300, I mentioned, uh, I brought my um, uh, my friend Matt Harris on, who's a really great writer, and I we publicly announced that I would now be producing his script after it has gone through 10 years of interest from people like John Lee Hancock and Gil Netter and like huge, huge people, but it was never actually set up and made, so <laughs> one day it ended up in my hands, and um, so people have been asking, like, what's happening so I'm going to give an update, okay? Because it segues off of a little bit about awesome. producers. So this is what I found out really quickly. I hate being a producer, <laughs> and I'm terrible at it. Um, so immediately I was like, this is so weird because I'm used to dealing with the, de- with the development end, with, with the actual descript, but yeah. now it's got to become something bigger, and money immediately came up. So mm-hmm. I brought my friend Kim Zubik on, Who's also who's a, who is a producer, and she did the show as well, and so she started to um, look for you know financing opportunities and things like that. Then then we got um, a guy who listens to the show who um, was able in a way he he has a lot of financing opportunities, so he came on, and we were kind of like good to go, sort of. But then it was the idea of like casting, and what I found out was with casting, you know, really it's all about the director, right? You think it's gonna be about the financing, but it's really all about the director. So then it was like, okay, well maybe Matt won't direct it. Okay, so then we went out to directors. But with directors, it's all about the financing. (laughs) (laughs) So it just kept going in this circle, and I'm sitting here going, I don't like this game. This no. is this isn't a fun game. So anyway, but I had committed to it because I love the project and I love Matt. And you know, this is a movie that really deserves to be made. So we're going along, we're going along, and we're sort of about to pull the trigger on um, something, right? When John Lee Hancock got in touch with Matt and said, "Dude, you know what? I have room in my schedule, and I've got I've got things set up." And I really want to work with this particular producer on it. Um, Can I I do it? And so Matt was like, uh, uh, and he immediately contacted me Mm -hmm. and I was like,
1: fly be free <laughs>
2: that's wonderful news <laughs> like inside i'm giving like this secret cheer like yay Get out. it's going to be it's going to be made and it's going to be made well and it's yeah. going to have money on it but it, it, and if it screws up it won't be my fault <laughs> so i wanted to let everybody know because yeah. It's it's amazing like you go out in that world and there's all suddenly it's this balance of the creative and the financial and the talent and the audience and the writer and you're I don't know how producers do it. All I know is I don't want to.
0: <laughs> <laughs> producers have to be crazy for that reason because they're just they're they're having to, yeah. Have so many different interests in mind
2: and they deserve that Academy Award for Best Picture yeah, exactly. at the end and they deserve Absolutely. longer speeches yeah, yeah. I mean <laughs> I just made a longer speech than anybody who's actually accepted the award yeah. so um, but I did want to tell everybody because people have been like hey what's going on and I want to let you know that if and when the movie is made it is called The Starling and that everybody should support it because it is freaking phenomenal The but, Starling. but I can't wait. my own uh, credit on it will still just probably be script consultant <laughs> which is fine with me I like being a script <laughs> consultant um so uh john what about um ender's game so that was-, was another
0: odd lot movie um that was in at it i mean that script has a very storied past it was in development and turnaround for like over 10 years um, a very was a popular beloved, book yeah the, the book came out in the 80s and it was um, immediately very popular and it was taught in schools and it's 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 a wonderful grounded you know sci-fi epic with um children protagonists um for that reason it's very difficult to get made into a movie has a lot of the elements that producers shy away from child protagonists children are a lot more expensive to work with it's also hard to find you know great child actors that have any sort of you know star power um it's very difficult to make a sci-fi movie you know at, at, in an indie budget because um, they it takes a lot of special effects and um so yeah th- that movie was in long-term development and odd lot had gotten it from turnaround from one of the studios and so I came on board and I immediately read it because I loved the book and um, it was a great script and to kind of see the process of bringing on the director Gavin Hood who uh, was also the writer um, to hear his take and then go through you know year and a half of development with him uh, it was fantastic i feel really lucky to have been part of that process it was really cool and and a good movie it's it's really it's worth watching is it's a that a difficult sta- book to adapt is that
1: a standalone or is it a trilogy
0: mm-hmm. it it's really i think there's 7 books oh, in the okay. series it's okay. uh it has i call them parallelicals. Um, a <laughs> lot of kind of taking place in the same time but from a different character's perspective oh, of got like you. parallel stories within the same time sure
2: so the development process on it must have been tough you know if you are going from all these different perspectives mm-hmm. trying to figure out what through mm-hmm. line to hit absolutely and whose voices to keep and whose to lose yeah. were you in on any of that part of it
0: yeah i mean i was in on all the conversations for sure so i was assistant during that uh, movie to the head producer linda McDonough. um and so being on those phone calls and in those you know development meetings um was very eye opening yeah
2: and was uh, a and it's
0: indie it's really like gavin hood in interviews now he's calling it the uh biggest indie film ever made no, um, and okay. it kind of is
2: in this case, what defines indie?
0: Well, that it was made outside the studio system. So it was, you know, the script was wholly optioned by, you know, an independent producer, odd lot entertainment, which is Gigi Pritzker's company. And, um, they put together the financing independently. They pre-sold the foreign distribution rights. They got some equity involved. They approached distributors themselves. They finally got on summit on board, which is, you know, now Lionsgate. And, uh, really put it together themselves Gigi put in you know some equity but they got a lot of other money from foreign and other investors as well
2: you know it's it it also speaks to trends a little bit too like if you chase the trends forget it because with something like ender's game um like you said 10 10 years ago i mean it was written in the 80s Mm -hmm. not 10 years ago i'm saying it was written in the (laughs) 80s but there's been a resurgence of popularity for sort of young adult sci-fi post-apocalyptic kind of fiction mm-hmm. since Hunger Games. Mm-hmm. So I think in a way, Hunger Games is what mm-hmm. gave all the juice to mm-hmm. Ender's Game mm-hmm. finally coming out. There is that. Yeah. Is that right?
0: Yeah, I, I think that helped. I mean, especially with Summit Lionsgate coming on board to distribute. I think everyone was looking for that next young adult franchise. Um, but uh it's also just a testament to how long it takes to make a movie mm-hmm. um it sometimes takes over a decade to for it to finally come about um and i think it's it's waiting until the moment is right um not every you know movies are very timely they have to tap into something you know for a successful movie to hit it has to you know hit a zeitgeist in some way um so yeah Interesting. Oh, okay. That is interesting. All right.
2: All right. There, there's cool.
1: no There's no secret formula, that's for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. Cool. I wonder if this new divergent or divergence, I wonder if that'll have any legs.
2: I think it, well, mm-hmm. again, I'm going from like my 13-year-old daughter's point of view. Like, yeah. so So she and her friends. Slash Pat's. <laughs> Most of the time when I say 13-year-old daughter, I mean Pat, but in this case, nope. So, so she, she, she reads all of these books like yeah. like you wouldn't believe, and all of her friends talk about it and stuff. And there's been, I don't know if it's a rebirth of reading, or maybe all kids have always been this tuned in to books. But I think the popularity, I, I, I mean, how popular it is among her peers. Mm-hmm. I think that will translate to box office, but it better be as good as Hunger Games. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Sure, sure. Like cuz it's going to inevitably be compared and look at the poster, it looks exactly the same, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, and it can't just be like and just following a formula. Even the kids will not put up with that.
1: Yeah. And there's been a few other like that, City of Mortal Instruments that didn't do very well, right? More City of Bones. City of Bones. And that's like the same kind of thing relatively yeah. or like um Beautiful Creatures, wasn't that another kind yeah. of series that just not didn't mm-hmm. really do anything. Didn't do
0: well. uh, I don't know. Yeah, my brother worked on that at Alcon. Oh
1: yeah, yeah. Um,
0: it, it what when you I'm just this is just a question for you, yeah. Pilar. Um, yeah. when you're talking to screenwriters and you know helping them with their screenplays, do you ever recommend that they try to adapt? You know, because like adaptations are the easiest thing to get made now. Um,
2: I don't. Well, the reason I don't recommend it um, is. Is because of the rights they issues. They don't have the rights, yeah. Yeah, because then they get into so
0: much... Do screenwriters you know, ever do spec adaptations?
2: Yes, and then, then they have nothing that they can use. Right. Because inevitably, it goes back to, do you have the rights? Mm-hmm. And especially if you've written the whole thing, mm-hmm. and then you say, hey, look, I wrote an adaptation of your book. Mm-hmm. Can I have the rights? Mm-hmm. I, immediately, everybody gets prickly. Like, what do you mean you wrote an adaptation? Really? Yeah, so it actually does not work well. But what I do encourage people to do is, fine, if, if they've got anything in the public domain, or if they can do some kind of contemporary yeah. update of something that has, is a classic, by all means, because then you can say, mm-hmm. um, well, I, I can't say this without sort of giving away, but uh, I have a client who's doing a contemporary take set in Mexico of a famous old Western Cool. That is in public domain. Mm-hmm. So he can just say, it's 2014's this. Oh. And immediately it hooks people. Mm-hmm. They understand it. And he doesn't have to deal with, mm-hmm. with authors. So yes. I it, think that's great that advice. Way. Yeah. Because yeah. it gives you also a certain framework, a certain structure, if mm-hmm. you want to use it. Mm-hmm. Um, or it also sort of like makes people get a sense of tone mm-hmm. right away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's tricky, right? Mm-hmm. Um but but for people who do have the rights to certain things, mm-hmm. then you have to get them divorced. From their love of the original source material, a little mm-hmm. bit, so that they can look at it as a as a movie instead of a book, mm-hmm. and that's difficult too. Because they'll mm-hmm. be like, "No, this has to be in there," and I'm like, "Nope, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> it has to be in the book. It mm-hmm. doesn't have to be in the movie." Yeah. Like you have to have focus in your movie, and you have to cut out so yeah. much stuff. And I think *Ender's, Ender's Game*. You know, I, I haven't I haven't seen it. I'm mm-hmm. totally going to, mm-hmm. but. Um, I know that for people who love, love, love the book, they were like, this isn't in the movie. And it's like, yeah, then it wouldn't be a movie. Yeah. That's it's- the,
0: that's the challenge of adapting any book. You got to leave out so much good stuff. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, what about you? What's your, what's your, uh, personal taste? What was your favorite movie this, this year?
0: This year, mm, man, I recently saw the act of killing. It's a documentary. I don't know if that counts, but, um, wow, just intense and really surreal, um, and really good. Um I loved gravity. Ah, Love gravity. Okay. Um I just I didn't I went in with really no expectations. Um I also recently just saw the Lego movie, which I loved. Have you guys seen that? You know yeah, what? I loved it.
2: All I keep hearing is how great the Lego uh,
0: movie
1: is. Really I'm gonna break
2: it. down and see the Lego movie because yeah. I I, it does sound yeah. awesome. So
1: everything is awesome. Everything is awesome. That will be stuck
0: in your head for oh, weeks. Yeah. But, um Yeah, no, there's something so just refreshing about the movie. It's hard for me to put my finger on it, too, but you could tell that was a movie that was really just owned by the creatives. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think there was very um, – this is me speculating, but it just feels like there was very little meddling from – marketing and kind of producing people. It just feels very... Or even
2: if there was, and one would imagine a movie called Lego would have lots of meddling from marketing people.
0: You would think, and
2: And toy manufacturers. Mm -hmm. But um, even if there was, again, that idea of respecting the integrity of the story, that comes down to the people who are doing their job well. Yeah. 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 John, uh before we leave, because it's really important, uh, tell us about Screencraft. So this is oh, yeah. your 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 new thing. This yeah, is what so, you're doing now.
0: Uh yeah, Screencraft started, so you know, after working in um development, you know, for a financier and then in distribution um for a major distributor and then in talent, you know, I worked for a management company. Um and seeing all those kind of big parts of the industry from production to distribution to talent management and negotiations, um, I've maybe in my um, kind of novice arrogance was like, I, I can be a producer now. I know everybody, you know, I know agents and I know, uh, you know, financiers and I know distributors like that's all you need to make a movie. <laughs> um, but I very quickly realized that as you learned that producing is incredibly hard and it's an uphill yeah. battle and it's a multi-year uphill battle. So, um so my partner Cameron Cubison, who's an amazing screenplay reader and consultant, he's read for the Sundance Institute and for major agencies and production companies around town. He was actually um, an intern at Open Road when I was there, and I was reading his coverage, and it was just excellent. It was head and shoulders above all the other coverage we had, you know, ever gotten, and. In um, a lot of ways, his like thoughts and notes were better than you know executives who I had worked for. I was like Cameron, you know, you're way undervalued. Let's start our own little screenplay development consultancy, and and so we did, and that was the birth of Screencraft about a year and a half ago, and um, we it, it's it's been very very fun. Um, we do some screenwriting contests. I think that's what sets us um, apart a little bit is we in order to find g- great screenplays that you know we could connect with all my relationships in the industry. Um, We, um... We, um, yeah, cast kind of a wide net. We started with genre-specific contests. So we launched a year ago um, the first annual Screamcraft Horror Screenplay Contest, and it it did very well. We just saw this, you know, great response for it. People loved that it was genre-specific and that it eliminated maybe some genre bias that other screenwriting contests and fellowships have. Um, So we decided to do that with, you know, some other genres. We have a comedy screenplay contest, which is going to be launching on April 1st. Um, Ooh. uh, Ooh. Second second annual. um, Is
2: that going to be called Giggle? craft if you have like scream craft Gosh,
1: should. i might have to use that <laughs> P- pilar i know the guy running the contest
2: do you, yeah gonna, all right i think i'm gonna enter do you think <laughs> i
1: think so are you I a comedy dis- writer
2: i think you're disqualified <laughs> now ryan but oh man uh. yeah. we
1: can we can make it a
0: blind contest um, <laughs> but anyway our second annual horror contest just launched i'm gonna launched i'm gonna plug that um we got some fantastic judges we have um scott henderson who reps james wan um who of course is you know the director of saw and insidious and a bunch of other major horror films we have um john carpenter's manager uh, amit sakai at echo management echo lake management um of course john carpenter you know is one of the most legendary horror filmmakers of our time um, i have clive barker's manager andrew wilson um, at zero gravity who's also a judge on the contest so we're really excited. Um, we we got it right up in the Hollywood Reporter, and we're just we're we're really excited about round two, our second annual horror contest. Um, the first one did so well, and we're fingers crossed we find some future blockbusters.
2: Um. Congratulations. And thanks also for your support of On the Page. Oh, I love
0: it. And by the way, thank you for having me on. I've been a huge <laughs> fan of yours for um, years now. And ah. uh, good to meet you and hang out is really fun. And
2: so all this glamour right exactly. here. Exactly. He got the ears Where on. the magic happens. Oh, mm-hmm. my goodness. Yeah. Thanks, John. Where can people go to find more about ScreenCraft?
0: ScreenCraft.org. We also have a very large social media presence. You can follow us on Twitter and on Facebook um, and on Instagram and on youtube as well we've, what are you taking we've, we've pictures of on, of, uh,
2: you, on instagram like, here's honestly. a script here's another
0: Stacks, script. <laughs> i haven't taken any pictures of scripts although maybe i should we've been what we do uh this we do this on twitter too we'll just you know like interesting quotes um from screenwriters or writers or filmmakers or even just people that have great thoughts on life uh we've been putting those out on twitter and you know it, it's a great way for people to retweet and share um Little little quotable things. Um, so we do the same thing on Instagram, quotes quote images. Um, oh, cool! And people love it. It's great. Check. I hate I yeah. hate
1: writing. I love having written. Can I quote you? No, okay. Dorothy Parker. Dorothy Parker. Dorothy Parker. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> it's the only one I ever remember. It's a good one. <laughs> a, yeah. Well, if you want some more good ones, <laughs> check out ScreenCraft. That's right. Yeah. Dorothy um,
2: Parker. God, I went through it's such a Dorothy Parker phase when I. Read. We
1: also do a. Guess, guess, guess where I have that written. <laughs> what. Right on right the bathroom. On the mirror. Right, right the mirror. <laughs> and
0: lipstick. Yeah. Um, our YouTube channel, too, is something that we're putting more effort into. We do a lot of industry events. Hopefully, if we're lucky, we'll get to do something with the great Pilar Alessandra as well. Ooh,
2: as long um, as you call me the great Pilar Alessandra. The great. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really easy that way. Just call me the great, and I'm in. <laughs> You're
0: in. I'm in. You got um, it. So, yeah, we have a lot of cool interviews and um, video from the events that we've done in the past year um, on our YouTube channel. So, check that out. Cool.
2: All right. Thank you so, so much. John Rhodes from ScreenCraft.org. I appreciate it. Um, uh, Ryan, where can people follow you these days? You're, as usual, all over.
1: Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, at Ryan Buds, B-U-D-D-S. And uh, if you live in Burbank, got a new trivia location, Pilar. Downtown what? Burbank Bar and Grill. It's my most uh, my most favorite right now. It's really, uh, it's really cool. It's a great uh, bar and grill it's, in Burbank.
2: Is that where you uh, ran into Rusty? Russ? Uh, yes,
1: yes. He okay. shows up there from time to time, yes. He,
2: he ran into a, a, like, there was a regular there who turned out to be a good friend of mine and has been a, a guest on this show twice, and, uh, and and you guys hang out now.
1: Yeah, yeah, I host trivia. I do comedy. I do a lot of Where? stuff. Uh, Burbank Bar and Grill every Sunday night. Seven, I'll be there tonight, 7 to 9. I'll oh. show up. That uh, sounds yeah. awesome. Sunday yeah. nights, It's a lot of fun. It's yeah. free, and there's prizes, and it's good times. It's um, also, real quick, uh, I'm in a good, bad movie, or a bad, good movie. Again? That, yeah, it comes out on video on demand March 28th. Uh, it's called airplane versus volcano. I think is I called the you asylum. Lie. It is the asylum. God, they're unstoppable. They're un- is this is this what's behind the Sharknado this T-shirt? The, yeah, I was in Sharknado, and uh, but yeah, this, love movie, the asylum. this movie I have like ten lines. In, so, <gasps> really? I lines yeah. so Do you, do you die? Uh, no, I do pick up a guy who has burned arms and his skin comes off in my hand and I say, (laughs) Holy hell. So get excited for that (laughs) video on demand, March 28th, DVD, May 27th.
2: Awesome. I'm I'm watching it. (laughs) and I'm just going to replay Holy hell over and over again.
1: It was by the way, improvised line. Oh, wow. Did you get screenwriting credit? Uh, negative.
2: (laughs) Nobody gets I need screaming. some consulting. <laughs> um, uh, I want to remind everybody to go to onthepage.tv, um, and you can see everything that's going on here, especially a... Um Oh, boy. Well, let's see. This is coming out after that. So I can't plug. I can't plug a class that's coming up. Can because you get a retroactive going, plug? I can't. Like just go to onpage.tv. See all the fun stuff that's happening. Also, I want to uh, give a shout out to John Houston who just sent 10 bucks. Thank you very much for your do- donation, John. He also sent a little letter, and I just want just, to just read his letter for a sec, because he makes a really valid point. He said, Hi, Pilar. I want to comment on your female guest's remarks during the Gender Gap podcast. Early in the podcast, she said men are terrified of writing for female characters. I believe that requires clarification. I personally, as a man, am terrified of writing for all my characters, male or female. They are all individual, they are all not me, and they are all terrifying to write for. And I think, I think it was, that was a very amusing way of saying, don't generalize, right? That's um, a great point. We yeah. can't do that. And, um, you know, I didn't... Th- she, was, she was trying to say, look, this is... It, I think she was trying to say, like, look, based on what we see on screen, mm-hmm. people are clearly scared mm-hmm. to write for women mm-hmm. but it came off as uh, you know a little biased yeah. so um which i don't think was her intention but john i'm glad that you brought that out and it is very true it, all characters are scary to write for which is why they're so exciting to mm-hmm. to write about mm-hmm. um so thank you john thank thank you ryan thank you thank, and uh and i want to uh remind everybody uh oh i guess just write your script right Yes. Right.
0: Just just start writing. Just start writing. Water doesn't flow unless the faucet is on, right? As as one of our quotes says. Does Dorothy Uh Parker say that? Is that (laughs) Dorothy? It was somebody awesome. I gotta we gotta look it up.
2: Either way, have a good writing week.